0: You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Once again, welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. Uh, two places I'm going to have you turn to this morning. Uh, if you're already at Acts 20, hold your finger there. Of course, if you're looking it up on your phone, you can't do that, can you? But uh, go to uh, Luke 12. I'm going to start at Luke 12. We're going to read some verses there, and then we're going to go to our text. This is how it changes everything, our teaching series. We're still in the book of Acts, working our way through the book of Acts, how It changes everything. The it is not an it, it's a person. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a resurrected Lord and Savior. And when you begin to not just see the cross and what Jesus did for you, but it's got to be beyond that, when he begins to seize you, the cross seizes you, it gets a hold of your heart. You are never, ever the same. That's the premise, that's the kind of the thesis statement of the book of Acts. It's about a small band of people who encountered the resurrected Lord and Savior. And 2,000 years later, we can do the same. We can know Him. We can come to know and experience Him in our life. And when we do, it revolutionizes our life. It transforms our lives. And now we're at the 20th chapter of Acts, but I want to read something here. And I'm going to start off by asking you a few questions. We're going to talk about legacy this morning, And so my question for you is not if, but when, not if, but when you die, what will be your legacy? You will die. It's just a matter of time. When I look back over the last year, we've buried a number of people uh, here that have attended Desert Breeze and also family members of Desert Breeze. I just a memorial service yesterday. And so it's, it's going to happen. I've done a lot of funerals. You're going to die. Welcome to Desert Breeze. Okay, so we, we like to deal with reality around here because it does something. it does something to us. And so what will be your legacy? What will you have been known for? How will people remember you? How do you want to impact those around you? I had you turn to Luke 12. Let me read this. This is a fascinating story, and I wanted this to kind of be the basis. This is what came to mind when I thought of legacy. It's the parable of the rich fool. Someone in the crowd said to him, starting at verse 13 of the 12th chapter of Luke, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, this is Jesus speaking to him, so this guy yells out, says, Teacher, isn't that interesting? Here's the Son of God the creator, sustainer of the heavens and the earth, and this is all this guy has to, he's going to ask him, hey, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me so you can see what was on his mind, what was most important to him. But he said to him, Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And then he said to them, and this is pretty profound, this has always kind of bounced around in my heart and my mind for a number of years. He says, take care And be on your guard against all covetousness. Some translations, NIV says all kinds of uh, greed. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Because then he says, he kind of sums up, he says, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In other words, he's saying real life and real living is not in how much stuff you acquire. It's not in the positions, you know, how well you promoted. It's not uh, positions, possessions, the pleasures of life. It's not any of that. He says, that's not the abundance of life. You're not going to find life in any of those things. Yeah, that can be fun for a season, but that's not the abundance of life. It does not, none of these things, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he told them this parable, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully and... He thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store up my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. What was he saying? He's pretty content. He doesn't think he's going to die soon. I mean, really, most of us don't think about death much. Most of us think it's going to be someone else, not us, not me, until someone close to us or then we're facing it. And, uh, but God said to him, you fool, this was what was written over his epitaph, you fool, you fool. I've done many funerals where that would be written over the person's epitaph. Now, I didn't write it. I didn't get up there and say, this guy's a fool. You wouldn't want me to do your funeral, would you, if I said that? We don't know that. God calls the shots. He's the one that ultimately says that. But based on all that I could see, based on what this guy had lived for, I kind of walked away with a sense like, oh, what a fool. I tried to make the most of it. I tried to point people to Jesus. Oftentimes, I, like, I think funerals are a great opportunity for people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. But it's just—it's—it's it's amazing how much people lie at funerals. you found that to be true? It's just like, Wow. Just like, everybody, he was, everybody was a great guy. I mean, I did do one funeral one time, and I'll talk about it here a little bit later on. It was pretty stunning when I heard what they said about this guy. I was just like, oh my goodness, okay. But I'll tell you later on, maybe, okay. And then he said, but, uh, but God said to him, you fool, this night f- for your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? i take that stuff with you. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So here's my uh, the thesis, my kind of my statement is that a person who is rich toward God, that's what we're going to look at. I think the 20th chapter of Acts tells us that. It shows us through uh, Paul's life how, how he is rich towards God. So that's what we're going to go. That's where we are here this morning. So would you bow your heads with me? Let's take a moment. We're going to pray, and then we're going to dive into our text here. This morning, God, we are delighted to be here today. We love you because you have an amazing love for us. We are, we are overwhelmed by your love. Your presence is here. And we ask that you would open our eyes, that we may behold wondrous things out of your word, to gaze upon your beauty and glory, that you would teach us, touch us, transform us into people who are rich toward you. So that we can leave a legacy that ultimately points to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name and everyone said. Okay, let's take a look at this text now to Acts 20. How many are looking this up on their phone this morning? Oh, a lot of you. Cool. Cool. Uh, So here we go. I'm going to begin reading. We're going to work through this. We're asking the question, a person who is rich toward God, what does that look like? I've got a number of statements. We're just going to kind of slowly unpack this, so keep your Bibles open and uh, keep in mind where we just came out of. In fact, it kind of uh, alludes to it right at the very beginning of this. After the uproar ceased, what uproar? Well, there was a crazy riot that happened in Ephesus because there were so many people's lives that were transformed. They quit buying the idols and the guys that were producing the idols got upset. And it began to change the whole dynamics of the economics, of the culture. And so it created this, uh, this riot. And they rioted for a couple hours, you know, and it was pretty crazy. And their lives are really being threatened here. And so after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, this is quite interesting, especially when you look at what's surrounding Paul. And he's constantly facing death persecution, difficulty, but you see this word come up quite regularly. You're going to see it a couple times here. And after encouraging them, so he gathers the disciples, those that had confessed uh, their faith in Jesus, and he encourages them. He said farewell and departed for uh, Macedonia. When he had gone uh, through those regions and had given them much encouragement, so this is just what he's doing: encouraging. It's a it's a word, uh, paracletus. It's this called alongside to help, to assist, to encourage, to pour courage into someone. He came to Greece, and there he spent three months. When a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Here's the first point. So a person rich toward God is encouraging even when their life is discouraging. So how is that possible? How was Paul able to be encouraging? So here he's pouring into other people's lives when he's taking a beating in his life. Sometimes literally, other times figuratively, he's running for his life. How do you stay up when life is beating you down? How do you stay positive when everything around you is negative? It's not by denying reality. No, it's not by pretending that every day is Friday, okay? It's not that. That's a a form of, of, of denial. Here's what it is. It's being fully in the dot... It's being fully in the dot. you guys remember what fully in the dot means? When you go to Arrowhead Mall and you're looking for a store, you've got to first of all come to the map. And on the map it says you are here. You've got to know where you are before you know where you're going to go, where you want to get. So you've got to be fully in the dot. You've got to be fully aware of the fact that, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, life, I'm taking a beating right now. And then you've got to begin to embrace a greater reality, which is God. So it's not a denial of reality, but it's in the midst of your reality You embrace God. You begin to see God more clearly. So I'm not teaching you some kind of technique. We're talking about a relationship. God is bigger than any problem that you face. God is more attractive than any temptation that would allure you away from Him. And so that's when I oftentimes pray, I pray, God, help me to see you more clearly. Give me eyes. May the eyes of my heart be open to see you more clearly, I think that Paul lived in the reality of that, not always, but for the most part, I think he 's a great model here and uh, I, I gave you some verses here to, to help you to understand this a little bit more. 2 Corinthians one three through four it tells us that God is a father of compassion, a God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles, so that we in turn can comfort others in their troubles. Now this is not theoretical wishful thinking. I have seen it, I have experienced it personally. When I'm down and out, when I'm struggling, when I've gone into hospital rooms, when people are dying, I've seen where God's presence is there in a powerful way, in a a personal way, that He indeed is a Father of compassion, a God of all comfort. He comforts us. This is just not wishful thinking, some kind of platitude we give to people. He is present. He comes along and encourages us and uses us to encourage others to the point that it even says that then we can encourage others with the encouragement that we ourselves have received as we've gone through those difficulties. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, he says, though outwardly our bodies are wasting away. (laughs) That's true. Just look at you in the mirror. I used to have like a big full head of hair. Wow when I was 12, okay? (laughs) I started losing my hair pretty soon. But I mean, I I look at my body and just how I just can't keep up the same pace that I used to, you know, when I was in my 20s. Anybody relate to that? It's like, oh my goodness. It's just like, that was was everybody's hand this, this morning. Everybody's just like, it's like, so this is what he's saying. He says, though outwardly we are wasting away, So what is he doing? In the midst of the reality. It's not a denial of reality. No, I feel good. Praise God. I feel good. I feel good. I feel. No, my body's wasting away. Though outwardly we are wasting away, but inwardly we are being renewed day after day. What was he saying? He's saying, and then he goes on and says, he says that uh, our light and momentary trials, so that's reality, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So where's his perspective? And as you read on, he goes, we live by faith and not by sight. So it's not by the things that we're looking at here, but, but I believe in a reality that's much bigger than what I'm facing here. It is God is my reality. Jesus is my reality. He gave his life for me. I have fullness of life regardless of what I may face. So, so I think that's what's happening here. He was encouraging even when life was discouraging. And, and, and by the way, it's, it's really about expectations And there's a couple, let me give you a couple quick illustrations and we'll move on real quick. But uh, I've used this before. You guys realize that expectations uh, play a big role in how you navigate the difficulties of life. Uh, If I were to take you into a room, before I took you into that room, I said, this is a honeymoon suite and you walked into the room and you might go, "Ah, not quite what I thought. But then before I took you into that very same room, I said, this is a jail cell. You walked into that very same room and you go, not so bad. And it's really based on your expectations. What are your expectations? Now listen to me. You've heard me say this before. Nowhere in the Bible does the Bible promise us a painless or problem-free life. God never promised us, 1633, in this world you will have difficulties. So he does not promise us a, a painless or problem-free life, but he did promise us his presence, his power, his peace, no matter what we face. In this world you will have problems, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He is more than enough. And, uh, and so if you understand that and you understand, and he actually defines it, and I know some of you would look at your trials that you've gone through and you wouldn't call it light and momentary. And yet what he's saying is that in light of eternity, our light and momentary trials are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Here's another illustration I've used in the past. It's a good one. I uh, got it from Tim Keller and it's if, you, if you had two people working in a kind of a closed off, stuffy room, you know, working with widgets and gadgets and putting this on that and doing this and that, and, and they did that 12 hours a day, seven days a week, and at the end of the year, you told one, I'm going to pay you $12,000, and then you told the other, I'm going to pay you $12 million. What do you think the attitude difference would be between the two? pretty substantial. The, the one getting the 12,000 probably quit after a couple of weeks. Oh, this isn't even worth it. But the one that knows that at the end of the year, 12 million dollars? Oh my goodness. I can't wait. They would have an attitude that would, that would just like, you know, bring it on because I know what's ahead. The best is yet to come. See, those of us that understand what is Coming our way, the best is yet to come. Our light and momentary trials are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. We live by faith and not by sight. We have that sense of expectation. That's how Paul lived. So we can live with that, that sense of, oh, God, I know you have great things in store for me. But it's embracing that in the midst of the reality. Let's continue reading verses 4 through 6. So, a person who is rich toward God is encouraging even when their life is discouraging, verses 4 through 6. You'll notice, and I'm not going to try to read all of these, Sopater, uh, the Berean son of uh, Pyrrhus, accompanied him and the Thessalonians and Aristarchus and Syntcus, uh, Secundus and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and the Asians and Tychicus and Trophimus, and I mean, he goes through a whole list. Why are all these names in here? Well, this is his companions. This is part of the support that he surrounded himself with. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them in Troas. So it was only supposed to take two days. They probably ran into some problems, some weather problems where we stayed for seven days. So in five days, we came to them in Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Stop there. Here's your next point. So a person who is rich toward God needs encouragement and accountability just like everyone else. So you can't do it alone. You need people in your life that will encourage you. It tells us in Hebrews three twelve through 13, Anybody familiar with those verses? How often we need encouragement based on those verses? Hebrews 3, 12 through 13 actually says daily. It says encourage one another daily. And, it, and the reason why it says that is because of the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is so deceitful. It, it, it lures us away from Christ. And so we need people to keep us focused on Christ. It tells us in Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, it says neglect not the assembling of yourselves together but to uh, spur one another on to love and good deeds, to encouragement, look for ways that you can encourage one another. So. It's talking about this connection we need. And, and so here's what, I struggle with this a bit, okay? Uh, I tend to like to encourage people but don't like to receive it very well. Anybody like that? Okay. You have a hard time receiving someone, helping. You love to help, but you have a hard time. You guys were afraid to raise your hand. I bet there's more than that. Okay. And you, 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 don't even, you don't like asking people for help. How many do not like asking people for Oh, see, I knew that. There was more of you. Now I'm going to tell you what's wrong with you. Okay? And you're messed up like I am. And the reason for that is because of fear and pride. And you're still not living in the reality of the gospel. So there's an aspect of your life when you understand that you're more sinful than you ever dared to think, more loved than you ever dared to dream, it it eliminates pride and it gives you a sense of, you know, humility and then confidence and the reality of the fact that you do need to ask people for help. It's just, it's pride that causes us to be that way, but you can, but a person who is rich towards God, you can receive it as well as give it because you're not proud or afraid. The less you need friends, the less you are like God. God is is really the true triunity triune God is about community. And so uh from all eternity God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit have been in this this community. And so the more we become like God, the more we will be about community and relating to others. And uh and, and keep in mind, I'm not talking about that we're you don't need to scrounge around for compliments if God's. If you're God's treasured possession, you know what I'm saying? If you understand that you're God's treasured possession, you are God's treasured possession. So you don't have to, you know, someone shuns you, someone hurts your feelings, whatever. You don't have to be hypersensitive. I, my goodness, Jesus died for you. So we don't need people, you know, you don't need you don't, you don't need the encouragement and accountability of others as much as you need others pointing you to the encouragement and accountability of Christ in your life. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me? So don't become so needy. You need to affirm me more than you're affirming me. You actually need people that will keep pointing you to Jesus and the affirmation, the accountability that you have in Him. They just We work together as a team in that, and that's, that's really what's going on In Paul's life, that's why he was surrounded with these companions. Continue reading verses 7 through 12. see if we can pick up the pace a bit. On the first day of the week, I love this is a great story here. This is like one of my favorite stories. You're going to see why in just a minute. First day of the week. By the way, when did they get together? On the first day of the week. What is the first day of the week? That's right now. This is when the church began to gather. It was on the first day of the week because that was resurrection day resurrection Sunday and so that's kind of why we continue to practice that when we were gathered together to break bread Paul talked with him intending to depart on the next day and he prolonged his speech until midnight yes I mean he preached all day he's a man after my own heart but notice what happened may this not happen to any of us here There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep. As Paul talked, still longer. Notice how he put that in there. Still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, do not be alarmed. For his life is in him, and when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive, and were not a little comforted. And that it's kind of interesting how they not a little comforted; they were really comforted. Okay, just kind of a, a awkward way of, of way they way he wrote it, way they understood it, their culture. In that, let me give you the next point. I think a person who is rich toward God has a love for God's word and an urgency to communicate it. I think that's what you're seeing here. I mean, okay, if I have to go until midnight, there's some things I need to tell you about God. I need to, I need to pour this into your life, and there's that sense of urgency. I believe, too, it's a, it's a picture that when he got down with this young man, kind of breathed into him, kind of prayed for him, I believe that that's an interesting picture of what God's word does to us. How many have ever come to church or gone to your small group and there's just something that revitalizes you spiritually, having hung out with other Christians, hearing God's Word, listening to God's Word, understanding God's Word, show of hands? Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? So there's this revitalizing to our heart. So if you're going to be rich toward God, you're going to have a love for God's Word and an urgency to communicate it. Um. Joshua 1.8, one of my favorite verses, is do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it. How often? Day and night. And you'll be able to do everything that is written in it, and you'll be prosperous and successful. You want to be prosperous and successful? Absolutely. It's by getting into this book. It's understanding God's Word. Uh, Matthew 4.4 says, Man cannot live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So there's more to life than just keeping yourself you know, physically fit, there's a spiritual part of you, and that spiritual part desperately needs to hear and interact with the living God. That's what it's talking about there. Romans 10, 17 talks about faith comes by hearing, and hearing what? The Word of God. Yeah, 2 Timothy three sixteen says, all Scripture is God-breathed. So this is the breath of God. You want to get close and personal to God? This is the breath of God upon our lives. Hebrews four twelve it talks about how God's Word is sharper than a two-edged sword, so it cuts deep into our hearts, helps us to have a better understanding of who we are, what God is about, what He's wanting to do in our lives. The Bible has a lot to say. It's not on your notes there, but you could write this down, Psalm 19, 7, The Word of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Verse 10 of that same chapter, chapter 19 of Psalm, more to be desired than gold, sweeter than honey. I started thinking about that. Nancy and I just got back from a trip uh, to New York City. We, we celebrated our 34th uh, wedding anniversary. Actually, it's in another week, but we're, we celebrated it early, hung out in New York City for a while, and so we like eating at a lot of those little mom and pop shops. You know, there's a few of the chain things down there in the city. How many of you have ever gone to New York City before? Fascinating place. It's a lot of fun, isn't it? You guys like it? We enjoy it. That's one of our favorite cities to go to. And, uh, but we went to late one night into a little pastry shop there and I got me one of these little coconut uh, macaroon. Man, that thing weighed about a ton. It was like, whoa. Still, I think it's still down there somewhere. But, uh, man, it was tasty. It was good. Chasing that with a cup of coffee late at night. You know, and, and so, why did I tell you that? Uh, to make you envious. But, uh, no, actually, I told you that because oftentimes the Bible, when he uses like sweeter than honey, I could say sweeter than a coconut macaroon Ooh, or whatever your favorite dessert is. Do you see God's word like that? Do you see the sweetness of God's word? I, I can't get enough of God's word. I, I, look, I look to God's word as an it tells us in Proverbs 2, 4, search for it, wisdom as for hidden treasure. I mean, when I'm studying and I'm looking and I'm, oh, check this out, and oh, look at this verse, and oh my goodness, look at this nugget of gold here. That should be, that's a normal attitude of someone who is rich towards God and begin, beginning to interact with God, and I think that's what you have in that story, uh, um, and so, let me kind of, before we, let me transition here. Darren Dirksen, he, he tweets. Does that sound weird? I do too. But uh, he sent out a tweet, I think it was yesterday, it was an Oswald Chambers, and it said, the best use of one's life is to spend it on something that will outlast it. And so, so far in our study, we've talked about two things, and you're going to see these back and forth for the most part, but two things that are going to outlast you. People and God's Word. If you're going to really want to invest your life, you invest your life in people in God's Word. Verses 13 through 16. Okay. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail to Asus, or Asus, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. So this is kind of interesting. It's kind of a bit subtle. but So Paul's decided to walk 25, it's about 25 miles, and he's gonna, he's gonna meet up with them. I think it's because he's needing just some time alone. So you get that idea here. And when he met us at uh, Ossus, we took him on board and went to uh, Mytilene, and sailing from there, we came the following day opposite of Chios. The next day we touched at Semos. Man, what's with all these words? And the day after that, we went to Miletus. And for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Okay, here's our next point. So a person who is rich toward God often withdraws to lonely places and prays. This is what we got going on here. He's actually, so think of how long would it take you to walk 25 miles? Some of you longer than others, okay. Some of you for days. And others, uh, it would take, what, about four or five hours? Actually, that would be like a marathon. So no, it would take a lot longer than that, wouldn't it? How many of you have ever run a marathon? Anybody? How long did it take you? Two days? It all depends. You don't remember? How long did it take you? Oh, you did a half marathon? How long did that take you? Two hours? Okay, so about four hours if you doubled that, if you kept that pace. So four or five hours, maybe six. That's at a pretty steady pace. So he's spending time. I mean, what do you do when you get out and walk and you're relaxing? Uh, Thinking, reflecting, often withdraws to lonely places. We see Jesus doing this regularly in Mark 1.35, Luke 4.20, Luke 4.42. He often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Now, by the way, this is not a position of the body. It's a position, really, of the heart. Um, Let me give you the upside to having standby tickets. We, we, We took this trip because it was relatively cheap because we'd have to pay for our flight over there. Anybody ever fly standby? And the reason why it's fun to fly standby is that if you actually get on the plane, it's free. But we had some problems trying to get on the plane from New Jersey. And we spent like two days in a New Jersey airport. And yeah, we were afraid that the Jersey Shore might rub off on us in some way. Weird. Some of you probably don't even know what I'm talking about there, but I won't, I won't take that any further than that. But, uh, but two days and so finally we get the flight out last night you know, late last night last flight out of there we're thinking, oh my goodness we're going to wreck our whole trip we're going to have to pay about $2,000 just to get out of here <laughs> and I was thinking I might have to just call Darren he's going to have to teach this morning or whatever we're going to figure something out but we were able to get out but we were the last ones to load on the plane the plane is packed and I'm sitting right next to these two gals and they were not very friendly they were upset that I would choose them to sit between. It's like there's no other place to sit, you know. And so it was like there was very few people. So you know, you spend five or six hours on a plane trying to keep your legs from touching their legs for five or six hours. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about, there? You feel like sardines, so you are like this, and your legs are shaking about halfway through the trip. Like, okay, 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 okay. My necks hurt, my back. Hurt. It's like, was this worth it? Yes, it was worth it. Praise God! Oh yes. I mean, it was just, uh, it was miserable. It was worth it. We really had a good time, but it was like that last four hours. But you know what was interesting? It was actually, I kind of maybe invited it a bit. I thought, well, this would be really good for me. Sounds crazy that I would subject myself to something like that, but I really had no choice. I needed to get here, so. But I spent time meditating and reflecting. I mean, the two that were sitting next to me weren't in the mood of talking, and I wasn't either quite frankly. And so I I spent a lot of time meditating and I had my verses there and I was meditating, reflecting, praying. And the flight actually went by really quick for me considering the fact that I spent the time in prayer. And so I was kind of like often withdraws to lonely. I was in a lonely place right there praying. It's not a position of the body. It's a position of the heart. So no matter where you might be in the most inconvenient places, you can connect with the God of the galaxies in the most uh, worst places. I mean, most uncomfortable places. Sitting in this like for five hours. You know, and they're both complaining back and forth. They were friends and they both went to sleep and both laying on me. Uh-huh. just weird it's just weird I, I won't go any further than that it's just the way it is when you fly like that but, uh, but often withdraws to lonely places and prays do you do that? do you do that? if, if you do you're, you're going to be rich towards God who you are in private prayer when no one is watching is who you are who you really are spiritually uh, because there's, there's no faking, no showing off in private prayer. It's just you and God. So do you do that? Do you have those times? I need to tell you, man, those are some of the richest times I have. There are times that God meets with me. I mean, even on that flight, God met with me right there. I had a sense of his presence. I'm sure the gals could see. I was waiting for them to ask, so what do you do for a living? I teach hedonism, you know? Christian hedonism, you know, but uh, typically, I just, you know, it always, uh, when I tell them I'm a pastor, but I, th- I think they probably figured that out when I started seeing the material that I was reading and the things that I was doing, and sometimes that shuts people down pretty quick at that, but I had some moments on that flight where God revealed himself to me in a powerful way through the reading, through the meditating, through prayer, and it was just it's pretty powerful. Verses seventeen through twenty one. Let's continue reading. Now this is where he really begins to get into it, uh, where he, he draws this group together. And he gives us some really good insight, Paul that is. He says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened To me through the plots of the Jews, and how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Great insight here. Here's the next point. So a person rich toward God humbly but confidently speaks the truth in love, calling others to repentance or calling others to Jesus. That's what repentance is. It's just turning from sin, turning from your way of life, and turning towards Christ. And this isn't doing it in a condescending, condemning, commanding way. You don't see that here with the Apostle Paul. But open and honest about your own personal shortcomings, but always pointing people to Jesus. Why? Why is that? Because you're wanting to invest in their life. The most important thing you can do in other people's lives, and your family members' lives is to stir up within them greater appetite for Christ. We're talking legacy here. Remember, what's the greatest legacy you can leave to people? That you would stir up within them a greater appetite for the Lord Jesus Christ. I love what Tim Keller says in a quote. He says, love is the desire and effort to make someone else everything they were created to be. So what were we created to be? We were created to know God and to make Him known through our lives. I find it interesting, Steve Jobs, you guys familiar with him, just passed away from Apple. In his biography, that's I think it's about ready to hit the stands, I heard some people saying that in the last year or so, he was apologizing to his children for not spending more time with them. I want you to watch this video clip. It's uh, from the movie... Uh, click. In fact, uh, where's that cover to that movie? Let me just read the, the, the back end of this. How many have ever seen this movie before? It's kind of a crude and crass movie. You know, it's not necessarily, it's, it's kind of an interesting movie, but it has a good point to it. A harried workaholic, Michael Newman, Adam Sandler, uh, doesn't have time for his wife and children not if he's to impress his ungrateful boss and earn a well-deserved promotion. So when he meets Morty, Christopher Walken, a loopy sales clerk, he gets the answer to his prayers, a magical remote that allows him to bypass life's little distractions with increasingly hysterical results. But as Michael gleefully mutes, skips and scans past his family and his friends, the remote gradually takes over his life and begins to program him in this fast, funny, and out-of-control comedy adventure. And it just kind of talks about he's a workaholic, and he, he neglected a lot of things that were more important. And this is one of those scenes in that movie. Check this out. Real life and real living does not consist in the abundance of the things that we have. It's God's Word, people. God's Word, people. Let's continue on. Let me give you the next uh, couple fill-in-the-blanks. You can read most of this on your own as you finish it up. It's really pretty powerful stuff that uh, Paul is saying to the to the folks here, verses 22 through 24. Let me just read a little bit. He says, And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor is precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Here's your next point. Testifies to the gospel of the grace of God either by life or by death. That's what he's saying. So a person who is rich toward God testifies to the gospel of the grace of God either by life or by death. In other words, he's saying, let my life demonstrate that God is more than enough regardless of what goes down in my life. Let my life demonstrate that I don't follow Jesus because he makes life better. I follow him because he is better than life. Does your life say that to those around you? Regardless of what you're going through, whether it's life or death. Nancy and I got a call uh, two weeks ago. It's from a family friend. He just got word the doctor said put him in hospice he's only got two weeks Um, so we go over there to the hospital and uh, we walk into the room and I was blown away at uh, the attitude of the family and I shouldn't have been because they're Christians but this guy was so upbeat this guy's heart was so jubilant. It was so filled with joy, knowing. And he's, he was saying, like, I'm the lucky one. I get to see my Savior here in a couple of weeks. And then, in fact, I walked in the room kind of a bit timid. He goes, hey, come on over here, Ray. Come here. And he began to pray for me and Nancy in this church. And you should have heard the prayer. It was amazing. Here's a guy on his deathbed. His family, they were crying, but it was Hope-filled, as we're going to talk, it was hope-filled tears because their hope is in Jesus. They know, yes, dad's going on ahead, but they're going to all be reunited eventually. And yet there was, this, there was this sense that though they are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, that they do not fear any evil because they knew that God was with them. God's presence was so powerful in that room it was amazing it was just a it was an, we we went there to encourage him because his son said that I was one of the very few people that he really wanted to see i was shocked by that because we had some disagreements early you know about about 15 years ago we reunited worked through that but yet he wanted me to come into the into his room and talk with him and man he just poured blessing upon us and i prayed for him but i was blown away at the presence of god in that room And I've been in a lot of rooms where people are dying and there's a major difference between those that know God and those that don't know God. Major difference. Major difference. And that's really what this guy was doing. Testifies to the gospel of the grace of God either by life or by death. And then verses 25 through 35. um, He says, And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you This day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers and to care for the church of God which he ordained with his own blood. Those are rich words. Really rich words that he's saying here. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them therefore be alert remembering that for 3 years i did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears and now i command you to i commend you to god and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified i coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Here's your next point on your notes. A person who is rich toward God has the heart of a shepherd and not of a hireling or a wolf. And I think you get that in that text there. And I think it's, uh, and, and you're going you're to fit into one of those categories. And I've seen plenty of hirelings. They just, they, church is a means to an end. They're consumers mindset. And we, we shoot wolves here, okay? We run them off. If we find out that you're a, you're a wolf in sheep's clothing and you're here as a predator, we will run you out of here. And that's how we deal with it. That's why we have a board of elders. there are bouncers, and so. But, but we're all to have a shepherd's heart. If you're a follower of Jesus and you begin to understand the heart of the shepherd towards you, if you're following the one who has loved you with an eternal love, redeemed you with his blood, and will never fail in a single promise to you, you're going to have that same heart towards others. You just you want to pour Jesus into others. I gave you some good cross references there, and then we wrap it up, verses 36 through 38. Let me read the rest of this. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all, because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see His face, and they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Here's your next fill-in-the-blank. Last one. When he or she departs, people are not in despair or indifferent, but hope-filled sadness. Why is that? Because the Bible says we grieve, but we don't grieve like the world grieves. We grieve, we have hope. We have that sense of anticipation in that, that our light and momentary trials are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Okay? Now, I, I went to a funeral one time. It was pretty disturbing that the people were in such a despair that some of the, uh, the family members were trying to climb into the casket with mom. It was disturbing, to say the least. I also did a funeral. This is back to what I told you that I would tell you. I went to a funeral, and when I gave everybody opportunity to talk about the, the grandfather that passed away, nobody wanted to share anything. And then finally, when someone did say something, they said, we're glad the SOB is dead. Isn't that interesting? And they used the words. They just didn't say that. So it's, it's, it's really quite interesting, but there is hope-filled, hope-filled sadness. Hope-filled sadness. There are no sweeter words in my last hour on earth than these words, today you will be with me in paradise. I got that from a, a tweet from John Piper. And then I wanted to add to that is that there's no sweeter words in the first hour in heaven Well done, good and faithful servant. And to imagine, if you have opportunity to see your last moments on earth, there's no sweeter words than you will be with me in paradise. Think about that. And then your first moments in heaven to hear the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Stand with us as we conclude with this song. This is a great song that talks about heaven. And I think this is a good way for us to respond as we look ahead to what God has in store for us. Make this song the prayer of your heart this morning as we conclude our time together. God bless you.